Welcome, welcome K2H. Today, you know, continuing on with the celebration of AAPI Heritage Month here, I would like to continue to expound on issues involving Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders. But for today, I wanted to focus on a more transnational perspective on this because, in fact, everything is connected and we choose to categorize things, you know, like it's Asian American or Asian, or which ethnicity are you? And, you know, when we look at history, it, it's always connected, and we should really open up that um, that connectivity. And, and here I have a professor who's going to help me do that. And I had the honor and privilege of meeting her at a actually a live radio interview for a Hong Kong radio station, RTHK. And so let me introduce uh, the Assistant Professor of Gender Studies at the University of Hong Kong, Dr. Grace Ting. Grace is a queer and feminist studies scholar specializing in Japanese women writers, girls culture and transnational feminism. She's currently working on a book manuscript examining female homosociality, femininities and feminisms within representations of daily life by women writers in post 1980s Japan. Her other work involves critique of race and gender in the field of Japanese studies, as well as investigating tensions between concepts of queerness and Asia across Japanese, Sinophone, and Asian American literary discourses. So on that very um, interesting note, welcome, Grace, to uh, K2H. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm really glad to have another conversation with you. So, And you know, when we spoke that time, it was kind of, uh, in response to the horrific attacks in Atlanta. And that was back in March, right? And so it's been a, a few months and it feels like it's been a long time since that conversation. I wanted to start um, with actually addressing that because it's like, do you think, I know I'm going forward and I wanted to know more about your background, but let me just go back and forth. In light of this Atlanta murder against the, um, the Asian women at the massage places. Do you feel like it's something, you know, cause it's not been in the news again recently and it, except for people like you who write about the relevance and the significance of these moments. Do you think it's something, this whole surge of Asian American uh, narratives that's kind of coming out of the woodworks now, do you think this is a moment that is going to change things going forward forever or is it just going to fizzle out into a, a just a pocket of time where we were allowed to be visible and then it's going to go back to the old way if you know what I'm saying. Um, I really hope that this is a turning point and something happens right so uh, on the one hand um, I was so I'm thinking for example of uh, tweets that I saw by Andrew Young. Yes. Like, oh, my, um, there's a lot of criticism on that one. You might want to describe what, what that was all about. <laughs> right. So it basically sounded like he was pandering to um, Jewish Americans in New York City by saying, you know, um, I'm against like the, the sort of violence committed by Palestinians towards like, uh, um, like is towards towards Israel uh, or making so making this type of very inflammatory comment that I think also shows that uh, he is is not actually reading uh, real news out there. He's not paying attention to what's what's happening. But my point is that um, so on the one hand, right now I'm I'm still seeing certain types of politics or activism um, or whatever else like coming from Asian American communities that I frankly find disturbing. 
And so like this type of statement by Andrew Yang sort of makes me think, okay, so Asian Americans are just going to slip back into this model minority myth where we're just going to behave and sort of uphold the status quo. Uh, but at the same time, I think there's also been a lot of talk about solidarity between Asian and black communities um, and different movements in the US, uh, especially when they're feminist and queer. And so this is the type of thing that uh, I have high expectations for. And I hope that, you know, I hope they make some sort of difference in um, sort of broader difference in how uh, Asian Americans, how we perceive ourselves and um, and how we are perceived in the US and in other places. Yeah, it's just, you know, and, and everything is so trigger sensitive. When it comes to racial narratives, even when, when the Black Lives Matter started, uh, I felt like I wanted to jump on that bandwagon and because it was my first experience really kind of coming back in uh, to the US after being in Hong Kong for so long is to be a part of this movement, right? But at the same time, I quickly learned that it wasn't my place as an Asian or Asian American to speak to, you, you can be an ally, you can be there to support, but it wasn't your time to speak. You know what I'm saying? And, and then like, in light of the recent violences against Asians, it's almost like, okay, well now you can speak a little bit, but you, I'm gonna quote you on this article that I thought was really important that you wrote for Medium is you questioned um, how much do you have to be injured in order to have the right to ask for change? Um, can you elaborate on that? Because I think it's such an important question. It's like, now again, we're pitting one minority against the other. You know, we're talking about raising our voices and, and creating visibility, but at the same time, there's this kind of undercurrent of unending competition for space to be recognized, you know, and to be acknowledged. Yeah, thank you so much. Those are, I, I think, such like poignant questions that I'm still trying to deal with. But so the medium piece was actually a class lecture. So it's not, you know, a published piece or anything. It's just something that I uploaded after I taught my class. Huh. So um, I think the one that you're talking about, uh, I gave this lecture a week after the Atlanta shootings. And um, I was teaching work by Anne Anman Chang, who's a very well-known feminist Asian American. I thought that book because of your article. Oh, you did? <laughs> <laughs> yes, ornamentalism, right? Right, exactly. And so I think um, I, I think what you what you quoted me saying was also what I was taking from her, um, from what she's written, like uh, in online articles and and wherever else, or what she said. I also was, you know, attending a, an online panel that she did. Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I think the past year has been a sort of important time for me to grapple personally with what it means to make space, right? So I also had this moment of confusion or sort of ambivalence when it seemed like um, during Black Lives Matter, this was not a space for, for Asians to um, talk about anti-Asian racism. And I think that uh, this is because from my perspective as a feminist and queer studies scholar, we're always thinking about like structural problems, right? So if we're talking about like structural like uh, racism or like misogyny or whatever else, um, it's not it's not the type of problem that's solved by taking turns. So it's not like okay now Black Americans get to speak, uh, and then like Asian Americans have their turn, <laughs> and then we switch back and forth. Uh, so you know from a sort of like intellectual perspective, 
um, I do think like we need to talk about these things at the same time. Like we need to understand how different types of racism are connected. On the other hand, I also think uh, people have a lot of feelings, right? And so, um, you know, when I was giving this class lecture or when I spoke recently on a panel that was about uh, that Vanta shootings, I was kind of thinking about the people that would be listening to me and the sort of feelings that they might have. So um, not just recognizing that at certain points in time, like maybe it's best for Asian Americans to not center their own feelings and their own narratives, but um, speaking as someone in Hong Kong who's teaching students uh, in Hong Kong, sort of thinking like what are, you know, what are Hong Kongers thinking and feeling as they're listening to me talk about Asian American women? Like was, what is it that's related to this event that's like, you know, that happened across the world that, that they can relate to their everyday lives and the sort of like trauma or violence that they've experienced in some way. But, but I think it's, it's always hard sort of figuring out how to negotiate this, like making space for yourself to speak and then also making space for other people and, and yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting because uh, would you identify as Asian American, first of all, or would you say you're Asian? And I hate that kind of having to categorize and just trying to um, place context. So would you say, yeah, because you grew up mostly in the States, right? Before traveling around and studying and teaching abroad in Asia. Yeah, so I think growing up, there was a period when I called myself Chinese American. And then for various reasons, I started calling myself Taiwanese American instead. Ah. Um, but so, so I sort of feel like life is, at this point, it's just naturally about going back and forth between these different identities or these different sort of categories, depending on the moment. But uh, recent events really did make me think that sometimes I need to identify a bit more actively as Asian American. Um, partly because in Asia, uh, you know, for example, in Hong Kong, this is, this is actually my first experience being part of a um, ethnic or racial majority, right? Um, but I didn't grow up this way. Uh, this is not this is not really my culture, and so um, to me, like being in a place like Hong Kong means uh, sometimes I need to actively assert how I am Asian American, and I am not. Um, I am not simply Chinese, right? And I, I am not um, the same as, as the people around me here. When you grew up in the States, were you around predominantly white community or were you, is it was a quite a diverse background? Uh, predominantly white. So I grew up in uh, the suburbs in like Ohio, okay, so Pennsylvania. Perfect. So um, I remember in Pennsylvania, there was uh, my family was the only East Asian one in the entire school district. Oh. And then in high school, I think a Chinese Canadian girl moved into our, our like district. And we saw, there was this moment of recognition where I saw her like down the hall. And I was like, who is this person? Where is <laughs> so, And so yeah, it was very white. Yeah. When you see only white people, do you see yourself as white? Or do you, like, do you not even think about your cultural makeup when you see everybody as white? Or does oh, no, that make I, you feel even more like, yeah, outside? Um, and I don't think, I think growing up because my parents didn't talk about something like racism. So I'm sure that they experienced it, right? But to some extent, they, um, this was something that was, was hidden from me, uh, which I think is a sort of privilege too, right? Like I, like it, it wasn't to the extent where it was completely exposed to me when I was a child. 
Uh, but I definitely felt a sort of difference like between me and, and white Americans. Uh, I mean, the other kids would like make fun of my eyes, like talk about how I look like Pocahontas, <laughs> make fun of my food and do that type of thing. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. isn't it weird? Like that's kind of like a norm for a lot of Asians growing up in places that are predominantly, you know, white or non-Asian. It's it's almost like and nobody talks about it because and we don't think about it as being a form of racism or we don't we just stomach it. It's just something that you kind of deal with and grow up and grow out of. Um, and now with this new yeah. consciousness of anti-Asian sentiments, all of a sudden we're linking things like, hey, wait, that wasn't right. You know, with the way he, you know, that that person ching-chonged me, that's really rude and unacceptable. You know, it's like before we didn't really have that place or feeling or urge to speak up about it. Yeah, I mean, I think like starting at least in my early 20s, I had some awareness, you know, that, that these sorts of comments were not good. <laughs> that they were problematic, but at the same time, it was never my priority to think about them or to deal with them in some way. I, I think, and, and when I sort of look back on what I experienced as a kid, I actually just don't remember a lot of it. And so I'm not sure sometimes if the ways that people talked to me or treated me because I was Asian, um, if they were so normal that I just, you know, it's not something that I um, would necessarily even notice most of the time because it was so normal or if it's you know a very conscious or it, it, it's sort of my subconscious trying to sort of like erase like this sort of like unpleasant part of my memory because I definitely didn't like it like I wasn't happy yeah, about no it, it's right? something not positive <laughs> right but we just don't do anything about it it's not to a point where you feel like you need to go and defend yourself and beat somebody else up you know it's not it's right. not to that extent um, so it's like a very kind of subtle way of making us feel like outsiders. And I have to say, I never really felt that growing up, um, strangely enough, maybe because I spent half of my time in Hong Kong. But when I was, um, you know, I went to a very all, very small, privileged, uh, all girls Catholic school for high school. And, you know, there were the couple of us token Asians, but I don't think I felt it the way I hear like most Asians feel it in a typical kind of American school setting. So I can't speak for that, but I wanted to reverse it and ask you how you felt about, you know, when we talk about anti-Black racism. Um, so I'm grappling with this in my documentary film, as you know, I'm working on. Right. Because yeah. there are like these terms that I've learned that people have been using in the past and people still use it now. And, and again, in light of this so-called awakening of of, of sensitivity towards each other and terms, how terms matter. Um, did you grow up with terms against Black people that you find now very offensive that, that you still hear or, or we shouldn't say? You know, I'm just putting it out there. Um, you know, my family is a little bit weird. <laughs> like my parents are, are Christian, like they're very religiously conservative, but I, you know, it wasn't the sort of it wasn't the sort of family where there where we would um where anyone would use like anti-black like racist terms so okay. I, I do remember very distinctly that uh when i got into college um i think or maybe it was when i was sort of going around and touring places before i decided to uh where to apply so it's a little bit funny considering the direction i went in 
but I think I might have actually thought about applying to MIT uh -huh. or I might have applied to MIT <laughs> because I was interested in the Boston area. But um, I was talking to my dad who was sort of like driving me around to different places about my, my friend who um, is a black man and was already a student at MIT. And he said something like, oh, of course, like he made it into MIT because he's a black man, right? So, right. or I remember like going to, to Taiwan, um, like just, cause I would, I, so my parents moved back uh, quite a long time ago and I, you know, have been going there in the summers for a really long time. And then every once in a while hearing like a Taiwanese acquaintance or like a Chinese acquaintance just say something randomly like, are you actually friends with black people? Yeah. <laughs> this type of thing. Uh, so this was always very shocking to me. And I, I think, you know, I'm not sure if I took a strong enough stance. Um, I, my sort of way of dealing with it at the time was just saying, you know, I don't think it's because he's black or yes, of course, like I'm friends with black people. Is there a problem? Is, do you think there's a problem being right. friends with them or like, yeah, but where does it come from? You know, that kind of that, that discriminating view that Asians have, and this is all kind of, um, you know, perpetuating that a Afro Asian tensions that are kind of, you know, really, really quite prominent right now. And so that's why I kind of brought it out. And I think there's a lot to think about in how we um, assume our perspectives and where does it come from? Like, is it from our older generation, from the parents? Is it a cultural thing? Is it, you know, colorism is a huge deal, even in Asia, and we can unpack that too. But I just yeah. want to leave our, uh, our listeners maybe thinking about where discrimination comes from and how we position ourselves and why we have these divisions and what we can do about it. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk a little bit more about that. <laughs> 